Hi there, Monica White, Licensed Mental Health Counselor here. Welcome to Boost Your EQ. This is the podcast where I teach the most important psychology skills you can learn to build abundant, thriving relationships with yourself and the people around you. This is episode 23, 10 Steps for Developing a Self-Care Plan. In today's episode, I'm going to walk through the 10 steps that you can use to build a self-care routine that will become effortless and natural. So like everything I teach, there's a checklist and there's steps and there's tips you can take to start building these daily habits. And as you know, daily habits become lifelong habits and they become effortless and natural. It's currently Thursday evening outside of Boston, so let's get started. All right, so we're in season two here. In season one, episode 10, I discussed um, self-care is for everyone, and that's a older episode. So that was a year ago when I was just getting started doing podcasting. So in season two, a year later, I've been applying a lot of the core concepts that we can use on a daily, regular basis into our career and work life. However, I'm moving into season three and I noticed that I had a few topics that I still was missing. So this episode and the next few episodes are going to be a little bit more about our personal and emotional daily habits that we can practice in order to really become like healthy and strategic leaders, bosses, and business owners. I usually mention that most of the topics that I've had so far have PDF worksheets, and you can find those on my Instagram at wellbe2go. So on my Instagram at wellbe2go, there's a topic that says 10 ways to develop a self-care plan. And if you scroll to the right, you're going to see that it says 10 tips for developing a self-care plan. Step number one is practice relaxation techniques to decrease stress. Step number two is make a list of adequate and appropriate social supports. Step number three is journal your thoughts and feelings. Step number four is get adequate rest and sleep. Step number five is smile and have laughter in your life. Step number six is participate in life for personal, spiritual, and professional growth and contribution. Step number seven is knowing that daily habits go a long way towards feeling productive and purposeful. Step number eight is be kind and understanding of yourself. Step number nine is allow yourself to see that there's always choices, coping skills, and solutions. And step number 10, be sure to build in time for relationships and pleasurable activities. So if you got all that and you're good and you don't need any more coaching, then that's about it. That's what I'm going to talk about. But if you are the type of person that likes coaching and explanation, then I'm going to break down each step and explain a little bit how I use them in my life and how you can use them in your life to really start paying attention to the daily habits that over the long run are going to increase the quality of your life and feelings of well-being. Back to number one, so practice relaxation techniques to decrease stress. There are zillions of relaxation techniques. You can go to Barnes and Nobles or your library and go to the psychology section and find clinical books on, you know, anything that's related to anxiety and stress reduction and, you know, anything related to career burnout, those sort of things, or mindfulness. There's a lot of different types of relaxation techniques, anything from yoga to grounding to deep breathing, to um, visualizations, to walking, to meditation, mindfulness, 
tons and tons and tons. So there's just a lot to explore there and I won't get any more into that, but part of having a self-care plan is knowing how to decrease your stress and increase your ability to relax. So as you probably know, stress is toxic to your body and the more stress we are, the more that will develop chronic health issues later on. So for example, if I'm a person that is just always chronically stressed, you know, for many hours of the day, and let's look at that, let's look at my health over the course of a lifetime, that stress does accumulate and, you know, it leads into other health issues. So stress on your body chronically every day for many hours of the day over time is going to lead to health issues later on. So it's super important to decrease your stress as much as possible. And I've talked in the past about time management and those sort of things. So you want to be very um, mindful and pay attention to when you're feeling stress in your body and the ways you can reduce that stress. So one of the ways is to practice relaxation techniques. That way your body gets used to not feeling stressed all the time. And that way it can calm itself down and it knows that it's healthy and normal and okay to feel calm. Uh, again, I've talked in the past about anxiety and chronic stress and fatigue and burnout in the job environment. And this is one of those things where, you know, you don't want to be in the job environment and feeling stressed out too many hours of the day. A little stress is okay. It should teach us something about um, what's going on. It should help us hone our intuition. But a lot of stress is going to lead to health problems later on and it's going to dis, you know, make our body kind of dissociate from itself because if it's always chronically stressed, it's going to start shutting down. So that's step number one. So step number two, make a list of adequate social supports available to you and use them for healthy distraction and relief. A lot of people don't think about this, but we have a lot of social supports available to us. When I was younger, when I was in graduate school, I didn't really realize that I could ask for help. So actually I would go online and I would find, you know, Marie Forleo and Gabrielle Bernstein and all types of Danielle Laporte and a bunch of people online that were online entrepreneurs. So they became my social supports. And I got into those worlds of positive thinking and um, leveling up and mindset and all those kinds of coaching. And so that became a social support for me back then. Since then, I've actually been able to delegate my social support to different friends or family members. So I know that when I need a certain type of social support, I'll ask one person for it or I will ask a different person for it and then I sort of know who can help me and who can't. You know, it just helps me identify who I can ask for help. Another way that people can get appropriate social supports is to go to their primary care doctor. So if you haven't seen your primary care doctor in a while, it's always good to check in. They're a social support. Again, you can also go see a counselor, so your primary care can refer you to a therapist. They're an appropriate social support. A lot of times when we're stressed out and we need to do some self-care, it's fine to ask for help from professionals. Other appropriate social supports are coaches and trainers and yoga teachers and anyone that we are paying for services because it's, you know, it's their job to help us, train us, and coach us in whatever field of expertise they have. So yoga teachers are social supports, coaches, gym trainers, those are all really good supports. Classes, thing from writing groups to sports, 
There's tons and tons and tons of resources that we can use. There's plenty of people who are always willing to help. And of course, you just have to delegate and decide who's the right person for the right task. Um, so yeah, make a list of adequate social supports and get them into your mindset that you can ask for help when you need them. So let's move on to number three. Journal your thoughts and feelings. You'll be better able to process, organize, and clarify once they are on paper. This is actually one of my most powerful steps. Uh, so I definitely use this. So when I was 30, I started to make timelines of everything that I wanted in my life, all the goals. And, you know, if people start that earlier on in life, like their 20s and start making timelines and setting goals, they actually accomplish their goals. But I don't know, for some reason it took me until I was 30. But when I was 30, I started timelining everything. So my long-term goals, my short-term goals, and my daily goals. And I would put them on paper and put them on my wall so that I would see it every day. And I would revise those timelines regularly. So once I accomplished something, I would revise the timeline. And you know, so a lot of times people put it on their Word document or on an online calendar or you know on their phone don't do that it needs to be journaling on paper and then you could put it on your wall you can leave it you know on your floor and keep adding to it and um, you know continuing to revise your timelines it's definitely okay to do certain things on your computer however there's something extremely active about journaling timelines and goals and thoughts and feelings on paper. So whether that's writing a narrative about something that happened, whether it's making checklists by hand on paper, whether it's creating timelines on, you know, big sheet of drawing paper, like journaling things out, putting it on pen and paper, like physically is really interesting. It does work. One thing that I do every day at the hospital, I'm always taking notes. So every single new person that I see, I'm taking notes. I'm mapping out everything they're saying and we're organizing it. So we're making it make sense. And something I do regularly is timelines with everyone. And it's not just one timeline. Every issue in your life is a separate timeline. It's very interesting, but if you were to see my office, you would see multiple timelines. So regularly, I take a big piece of drawing paper and I map out my different goals for the year. So for example, I always do like a personal timeline, you know, things that I've gotten accomplished in the last year. I always have like one huge major goal that I need to get accomplished and then all my smaller goals. Lately, I've been doing a business timeline. I've done a personal timeline. I've done like a financial timeline, things that are helping me stay focused and really organized. In the coaching group that I'm in, in fact, we're actually breaking it down even more into like weekly timelines. So there's just a lot of things that you can do when you start putting all your thoughts on paper. What I usually see most people do is they keep all their thoughts in their head. And so I've asked a lot of people, I'm like, do you make a timeline? And most people have told me like, I've never done that. I've never even thought about that. And that's when I tell them, I'm like, hey, you know what? If you try to remember everything, all the different interactions, notes, thoughts, and things that happen in your day, well, of course it's gonna clog up your processing system. Like your neural networks are not gonna know where to process, organize, and like how to clarify. 
So that's why it's really good to start writing things on notepads, taking notes in notebooks. You know, you can have big drawing pads at home in your home office, and then you create timelines for all the different avenues of your life. You can even do like a health timeline, you know, that documents any kind of health stuff. So these are all really important ways to organize and clarify all the events and things that you're doing in your life. So the short-term daily goals, the medium-term yearly goals, and then the long-term life goals. And it really works. It's super amazing. It's hard for me to know exactly how much it's helped my life, but I don't have anxiety about what's coming because I know that these are goals that I have prioritized and put down on paper. And if I'm able to look at them regularly and update them regularly and just handwrite them, I know that they get done. So I like physically feel a change and a decrease in my anxiety and an increase in my clarity, ability to like prioritize and stay focused on the things that I really want to keep top of mind. So journaling, writing things down on pen and paper, try it out and let me know if it works. Step number four is get adequate sleep and rest. In counseling talk, it's called sleep hygiene. All that really means is that we're paying attention to when we fall asleep and the quality of our sleep and if we're able to rest. So I think we probably know that sleep is unbelievably important. So protecting and taking care of your sleep is super, super important. People do develop chronic sleep issues. You know, sleep disorders is a really big thing and, you know, it can definitely cause a lot of chronic health issues. So there's a lot I could get into in terms of sleep hygiene and rest, but let's just say that if you don't get good sleep, it's really hard to maintain physical health. Of course, it starts affecting all kinds of other things in the long run of life. So, you know, you can definitely get someone to help you with sleep hygiene and pay attention to that. And there's a lot of things you can do to make sure that you get adequate rest. Step number five, smile and have laughter. It's okay to be spontaneous and playful. So obviously part of self-care is to enjoy some things in your daily routine and your daily life. Smiling is scientifically, it's evidence-based, it's been researched that if you smile more often, if you train your face muscles to smile more, that you'll actually improve your health and well-being. And there's a lot of reasons for that. First off, when you smile, uh, it physically makes your body feel better. If it's hard to smile, then you need to train your face muscles and you need to just fake smile, like practice smiling at yourself in the mirror. So when I was younger, I didn't really smile a lot because I was probably stressed, you know, and going through life issues, right? At a certain point when I was in grad school, I said, you know what, I need to start smiling even when I don't think I should be smiling. And that way I trained my face to be more smiley on a regular basis. So now I pay attention to when I'm smiling and I try to smile even when there's nothing particular to smile about just because it makes me feel better. So there's a lot of science to smiling. First off, it does make your body feel better. Secondly, other people react better. You know, it's much easier to react to a smiling person than somebody who's angry or upset, you know, people tend to engage and then you'll get positive feedback. And the third reason to smile is that you'll train your muscles. Your face has muscles. And if you're not training your facial muscles, they may not smile 
and, you know, be strong, right? So I don't, sometimes people tell me, they see me, like the other day I pulled up in my car to the gas station and the guy was like, you're just so radiant. You're just like smiling. And I don't know why everyone else is like not smiling. And I actually wasn't even in a great mood. So that was really interesting because I was thinking like, well, okay, I didn't know I was smiling, but maybe because I've trained myself for the last eight years to smile even in a restful state. So I practice smiling um, when I walk into my bathrooms, when I look at the mirror. Sometimes I even like smile and move my face muscles like in a yoga, sort of like face yoga type of training while I'm typing. So I make sure to move my facial muscles and train them. Because personally, I think your face muscles are just like your body. You do have to use them regularly. So number five, step number five, there's just a lot to that, but you definitely want to smile and you definitely want to also feel like it's okay to be spontaneous and playful. So practicing smiling and training your facial muscles to smile is going to help you feel like it's okay to be more spontaneous and playful. So I love step number five and I definitely practice that one and over the course of many years, I can see how it's benefited me multiple times to the fact that even the gas station attendant noticed that I have like a bright, smiley, energetic character to me. So that's really great. You know, who knows how it's influenced me, but I do know that it makes me feel better. And in general, I have better, more positive feedback and interactions with people when I am paying attention to what my face looks like. <laughs> so that's enough about that. Let's move on to step six. Step number six, participate in life for personal, spiritual, and professional growth and contribution. That's a big step, but basically I put everything into one. These are coping skills, you know, emotional, um, mindset coping skills, um, spiritual and philosophical and positive coping skills. The basic point is that you're participating in life for your own growth, whether that's professional and personal and spiritual. You know, spirituality doesn't have to be a religion. Spirituality can just mean that you're part of something bigger, like part of, you know, contributing to society, part of supporting causes that you care about, things like that. And so you want to participate for your own contribution, for your own ability to connect. You know, there's a lot I could say about that, but I'll just move on. Let's not overcomplicate it. <laughs> Step seven, have the mindset that daily habits go a long way towards feeling productive and purposeful. Practice good daily habits, whether that's sleeping, whether that's eating well, all those sort of daily things are going to increase your ability to feel purposeful and productive. Let's move on to step eight. Be kind and understanding of yourself as you would for another person. So that's self-nurturing, which I'm going to talk about in the next episode. And that's self-compassion. And the goal is to, you know, go up different levels of life and become better versions of ourselves. So if you can have some compassion and understanding towards yourself and, you know, not be too hard on yourself and understand that you're doing the best that you can at each level in life, then that's going to go a long way in developing your self-care routine and your self-care plan. Okay, two more left. So number nine is allow yourself to see that there are always choices, coping skills, and solutions. In the past few episodes, you know, I, I believe it was five and six, I talked about coping skills. So there are always choices, there's always coping skills, and there's always solutions in life. 
This is something that I try to remind people of every day. So oftentimes we start jumbling all the different stressors and issues in our life together. We need to separate them out and look at each thing on a different timeline. There are always solutions for almost all life's problems. One way that I explain this is, for example, at the hospital, a lot of people have different issues, you know, chronic health issues, all kinds of things. When you separate them out, you can see that there is treatment and management for each issue. Another realistic way to look at this is by knowing that the ICD-10, the ICD-10 is the 10th revision of the International Statistical Classification Diseases and Related Health Problems. This is a medical classification list by the WHO, the World Health Organization, and it contains codes for diseases, signs and symptoms, abnormal findings, complaints, social circumstances, and external causes of injury and diseases. What this means is that there are at least 70,000 codes. So there's 70,000 different issues that humans can have that we have identified and that we can solve. So it's one thing if you can't solve a problem, but these are 70,000 issues that any one of us could possibly have that there is you know an accurate diagnosis and there's an accurate solutions focused management and treatment plan so if you ever think that there's not a solution for things i really want you to go look at the icd-10 and try to find all the different issues that you feel you may have or that other people have in the codes anything i could think of under the sun is in there now if you're saying, okay, not everything has a solution, that's also true, but the solution to that is acceptance. So if there's something that you can't find a solution for, then it becomes acceptance. You know, that may be some really rare specific chronic diseases and illnesses that we haven't found a cure for, that we don't have treatment for, for example. Those are circumstances where, okay, fine, then we go to acceptance. So between, you know, 70,000 different ways to solve problems in the World Health, you know, ICD-10 or acceptance, we have most things covered. So there's definitely solutions to almost all the problems. And if you just get the right consultation and the right mindset and the right um, assessment, you can solve almost every problem in life. So I firmly believe that, and that's why I believe that having a solutions-focused, optimistic, positive approach to life is realistic and it's sustainable. And as you may know by now, my motto is realistic and sustainable. That is literally my motto to life, and that's how I live life. You know, there is a reality, there's a realistic solution to almost everything, and there's a sustainable solution to almost anything. All right, the last step, the 10th step for developing a self-care plan is to be sure to build in time for relationships and pleasurable activities. I have mentioned this in the past, so we have to prioritize schedule, relationships, people that matter, and pleasurable activities, our self-care and things we like, into our calendars. If we don't prioritize self-care, if we don't identify the things that we love to do and that build joy and happiness into our life, then we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not practicing a self-care plan. 
So step number 10 is very crucial. You've got to build in time into your calendar, however much you're working, however many stresses you have in your life. You really need to prioritize and put in an hour a week at least and you know 10 minutes to an hour every day for yourself that is just sustainable and if you have a negative chatter and like a negative thought loop and you're saying I don't have time for self-care this is simply not true it will catch up eventually in 10 20 30 years this is a habit that you will have wished you had started in your 20s and 30s so you definitely want to have the mindset that it's really important to build in time for self-care. Again, because over the long run, in 20, 30 years, if you didn't start practicing it, then it's really hard to start later on. By the time you're 50s and 60s, you may say, oh, now it's time for self-care. And I would argue, no, 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 you wanna start now is the time for self-care because by then you will be you know, much healthier and much more able to prioritize taking care of yourself, enjoy it, giving yourself permission to take care of yourself, and you'll allow yourself to feel good. You'll know what it's like to feel good, and then your body will know what it's like when you don't feel good. So you're gonna hone your intuition, you're gonna hone your resilience if you start practicing and prioritizing self-care, you know, early. the earlier the better. So if you can start today, and you know do these practice steps then i assure you your body's going to just learn you're going to train your body to feel better and over the long run of life it's going to pay off in many many major ways so that's it for today 10 steps for developing a self-care plan and i'm gonna wrap this up because it was, you know, a work day for me, so I'm gonna wrap this up and I'm trying to move into season three. So that's it today for 10 tips, 10 steps for developing a self-care plan. And I'll see you all in next episode. It's going to be about self-nurturing. So take care, friends. Have a great evening, have a great week, and see you next episode.